0: Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 40, Psalm 40, and the title of my sermon today is, the message today is, Take Joy in Doing Your Willow, I Take Joy in Doing Your Willow, Lord, and we're reading from the Message Bible, and it's Psalm 40. I waited and waited and waited for God. At last he looked, finally he listened. He lifted me out of the ditch, pulled me from the deep mud. He stood me up on a solid rock to make sure I wouldn't slip. He taught me how to sing the latest God song and praise song to our God. More and more people are seeing this. They enter the ministry, um, they, enter the minister, they enter the mystery, abandoning themselves to God. Blessed are you who give yourselves over to God. Turn your backs on the world's sure thing. Ignore the world's worships. The world's huge stockpile of God wonders and God thoughts. Nothing and no one comes close to you. I started talking about you, telling what I know, and quickly run out of words. Neither numbers nor words account for you. Doing something for you, bringing something to you, that's not what you're after. Being religious and acting pious, that's not what you're asking for. You've opened mine eyes or opened mine ears so I can listen. So I answered, I'm coming. I read in your letter what you wrote about me. And I'm coming to the party you are thrown for me. That's when God's word entered my life and became part of my very being. I've preached you to the whole congregation. I've kept back nothing. God knows that. I, keep, I didn't keep the news of your ways a secret. I didn't keep it to myself. I told it all. How dependable you are. How thorough. I didn't hold back pieces of love and truth for myself alone. I told it all. Let the congregation know the whole story. And we're looking at verse 9 or verse 8. I take joy in doing your will, or as the Message Bible says, that's when God's word entered my life and became part of my very being. You know, as we look at this psalm, it it has a a lot to um, say to us about our relationship with God and how that there are difficulties and trials that that happen. And whatever we see what is God's will or following God's will for our life can be be difficult. It can be difficult in making choices and difficult in saying, well, this is what God wants me to do at this very moment. And as Nikki is making a life decision... (laughs) to go to the military, and then to follow up with all, of, with all of the studies and, and so on that she will need to do um, for becoming a chaplain. These, these are very, a very high calling in people's lives, and it will mean a lot uh, for her future. But, you know, each of us enter into these very same things. We enter into areas of our life in which we are making decisions and making choices. And the psalmist here is telling us how he was in very great distress and troubled, and he was plunged into a horrible pit. Now, I, wanted, I just needed the board up here for a little bit um, because sometimes we, we don't have a concept of a horrible pit. Um, in, the, in Israel at this time, you had this is the, the land, you know, the flat ground, ground. And what they would do is they would dig a hole or a well, what we would consider a well. And it could be about three feet, four feet across. And they would dig down maybe three to five feet, and then they would, they would take this big hole out from underneath. This, you know, it could be 20 feet across and you know, 30 feet across, and 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 it would be almost like a, a circle, but about four feet underneath the ground. This was used for either for groundwater or as a granary. This is where they would store their grain. But whenever these were abandoned and it was a rainy season, what would be the bottom? A horrible pit of miry clay. And there is no way out unless someone lowers you a rope. So these wells, or these uh, granaries, were throughout Israel, and people, animals, could fall into them, because they didn't have signs up, don't don't fall here, you know? (laughs) Didn't have to backfill. So you had all of this, and so when the psalmist is saying that he has fallen into a pit and he has entered into great distress and plunged me into a horrible pit in miry clay, he was saying that not physically, but spiritually, he has entered this pit. And if he is going to get out of this pit, it's going to have to be by the help of God. Because he can't get himself out. He can't, he can't somehow work it up, work up the scenario, and work up the things to get himself out of there. No matter how you climb, you're not getting out. So this is the kind of the, the pit or the miry clay that we find him, that he finds himself in. And um, for the psalmist, then this is seeing how that as a physical captivity this would be, there is like this spiritual captivity. The spiritual captivity that comes upon our soul whenever we are away from God. One individual wrote, um, this author, what's his name? His name is um, John Blum, B-L-U-M-B-E-R-G. And he wrote this, he says, We had a hard time getting away from the shore. He, was, he and his friends were swimming and they had some t- type of a raft. Uh, there, appear, there appeared to be an enormous momentum keeping us grounded. Slowly it got easier when we decided to relax and it was during our moments of pause that reality set in concerning our ever so gentle drift out to sea. We immediately grasped for safety, one arm holding the raft and the other aggressively swimming. Twenty minutes later we would made minimal progress. A lifeguard and a kayak, a kayak appeared and comforted us by his presence. We lightly commented about the distance from shore, but he wasn't laughing. Orange markers had warned us not to go beyond them, but we ignored them and drifted five times further out than we should. The lifeguard didn't leave, but he didn't assist us. Forty-five minutes later, we walked ashore, shaking from exhaustion. We didn't run away from our values. We drifted away We drifted away. And wake up in places we never meant to be. Sin is subtle. It lures you into thinking you have it all together. Then one day you discover you're in over your head. And this is what happened to the psalmist. He is is thinking that he is going along, and then all of a sudden he finds his soul in great distress. And I was um, thinking of David whenever, um, you know, drifting out to sea. He was in El Salvador, um, the, the coast, there's no lifeguards. <laughs> there's no lifeguards. So on holidays in El Salvador, the, everybody goes to the beach, goes to the shoreline. And the, and the shore in El Salvador is all rocks. <laughs> it's black sand from volcanoes mixed with these big huge black rocks and they cover the whole beach and in the, in the water and so on. And the, There's no, there's no lifeguard so they don't know how many people die on a holiday. Well, David was out surfing one day, and there comes up and bumps into the board is a, a body. <laughs> Someone who had drowned at some point in time, and of course they take it in, and he, and, you know, he takes the body, the person in, and he, and he is dead. And it's just like, where is, how do we know how far we are? How do we know how far we've drifted? And drifting is one thing, but being able to recognize where we're at and how to... Uh, bring stability to our life in a very difficult time. And we are, and the psalmist is, is, is kind of in this place. He is, he is learning not by what has happened to him physically by falling into this pit. He's learning by what has happened to him spiritually. And he says in, in the verse, first one, I waited and waited and waited for God. And at last he looked and finally he listened. He lifted me out of the ditch and pulled me out of the deep mud. I waited and waited. I drifted and I drifted and I drifted. (laughs) I waited and you see, he cried to the Lord and he lifted me from the deep miry clay. He stood him upon a solid rock to make uh, sure that I wouldn't slip. Hmm. So we find that as a physical condition someone, he's saying that someone has come along, lowered the rope and brought him up and placed him on the rock upon the solid surface outside of the pit. And have you ever waited on someone and they not show up? (laughs) Anybody ever have a good experience after waiting and they not show up? Okay, no takers. Okay. Uh, I remember, uh, I remember, since you don't have a thing I do, Uh, I remember whenever I was at the farm, Uh, I have a lot of stories, must be having a good memory because I can remember all the things I never could. But anyhow, I remember being at the farm and there was a neighbor, uh, he had this Ford tractor, okay, remember the Ford, they were very low tractors and, and you sat low on the tractor and all the pedals were just right at your feet, the gear shift and all that stuff. And it kind of ran differently, you know. So we always had big tractors and big machines and bigger machines because, you know, we, we had uh, you know, a lot more acreage to take care of. Well, this guy, he had this small, it wasn't a small like garden tractor, it was a tractor, probably, you know, 50 horsepower or something. And I was, gonna, I was supposed to go low hay for him. And I was just so looking forward to mowing hay on this little tractor, you know, on this tractor. Well, he didn't. I packed my lunch. I had water. I had everything for, you know, to go and mow and be there for the day. And I so looked forward to it. He never showed up. Never called. Never, and I, I know I sat out in the yard under the, you uh, know, our tree right by the barn there. I sat there for at least three or four hours waiting for him to come. And when he finally, another day or two, two or three days later, saw him, and I asked him about it, he said, oh, that was not a problem, I did it myself. <laughs> you know, I didn't trust him from then on. I knew there was something wrong with that guy. Sure enough, there was uh, something wrong with him because we, uh, we, were, we made hay, you know, we'd we take in crops and things in other neighboring farms, we'd give them a part of the hay, and we'd bring two-thirds of it home and they'd get one-third Well, this guy um, was almost, it was a bad day, we had the hay coming in and you know unloading it, wagons and wagons of hay. And it was about like, three or four miles between the, the farms, so, and we thought it was going to rain, so we stored the hay. He said, don't worry about it, store the hay in my barn, you can come back in the wintertime and get it. So we went back in the wintertime to get it, we sold it. Needless to say, we never did pay for him again. So I, you know, we. but when we look at things and, and we never were waiting, waiting for people, am right, I going in and out? Am I dead? I'm gone. <laughs> Couldn't tell, could you? But I'm out of here. So as we, as we look at all these different things that go on in our life, sometimes we, that's how reading the Psalms and things can um, oh, really help us. Because it, it's, it's a perspective that sometimes happens in our lives and it's, it's very much, uh, we can relate to it. But waiting on God and waiting for him to come to our rescue, we've seen the songs about that, waiting on God and, and finding a place where we are going to hear the voice of God. Sometimes we have to be, as it were, at <laughs> our worst in order to look up And find that god is still there and he has been waiting on us to get our attention and the psalmist here is saying that as as he would have been physically in this pit waiting and waiting and waiting and finally god showed up and he lifted him out of the pit How many times have we put ourselves in the pit and, you know, got there and how, how do we make such a mess of this? And God comes along and we pray and we pray. And, and the good thing about this is that whenever we pray, it isn't like, God, I'm in the pit. <laughs> he already knows we're in the pit. What we pray is we ask God, God, you said all things work together for good. So I'm believing that this is going to be an experience in which you're going to receive honor and glory in my life. God, you promised that you would never leave me and nor forsake me, so I'm not alone in this pit. You see, so whenever we pray, we're praying the promises and we're praying the things that God has has spoken to our life in his his word. And it, it isn't that we are abandoned in the pit, it's that God is with us. Wherever we are at, God is there. And wherever we're going, God is already there. And whatever we're going to experience, God has already been there. To God, there is... This is such a great reality. To God, there is no seeing into the future, nor is there remembering the past. It's all knowledge to God. So God knows our tomorrows, and he knows exactly what's going to happen, and yet he is going through our todays, preparing us for our tomorrows. And it is the Spirit of God that makes us aware of God's presence. And it's the Spirit of God that gives these promises and brings these promises to light in our life. We've been reading the book of Daniel. And Daniel chapter 3, this is about the, the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we're all familiar with the story, hopefully. of Shadrach, Meshach, uh, and Abednego were um, part of the Babylonian Empire. And Nebuchadnezzar how, was a great king uh, of Babylon. And Daniel was some, wasn't there at the time that this happened, or he would, probably would, have, he would have been standing there with these uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But Nebuchadnezzar made this great statue. In this great statue, he told everybody they had to bow down and worship the statue. Whenever the, the trumpets sounds and everything went off, uh, everybody was to bow down and worship the statue. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... And they said, we're not doing this. We're not going to bow down to your statue because that would be false. That would not be according to our beliefs. The commandments of God say, have no other gods before me. So they were not going to bow down. And the scripture says in chapter 3, verse 16, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us. He's able to deliver us from it. And He will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Now, the one version says, Be it known unto you, O king, we will not bow down, and our God is well able to deliver us, but if not, we're still going to be delivered. Because the fire, the fiery furnace, but if not, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. God is able to answer our prayers the way that we want them. But it doesn't mean he's going to. But God is going to be there, and he is able to do it a different way. And the three Hebrew children, they know that God is going to deliver them either by saving them in the fire or by death, they are going to be delivered. King, you are not having mastery over us. We have mastery over this situation because we are following the promise of God and the word of God. And this is where we find ourselves. That whenever we are in these difficult places, I want you to know, it may look bad, but God is able to deliver us. But if he doesn't, that's okay. His will is going to be accomplished through us because God will never leave me nor forsake me. God will make this happen one way or another and we will... God will have the final say. So the, the, the three Hebrew children, they go through you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they go throw this whole thing and tell the king this is what's going to happen. Well, the king was a little bit upset. <laughs> You're supposed to laugh at that. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar was furious. That's what verse 19 says. Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual. Now, I'm sure that we were talking about this in our our study, uh, our our discussion on Wednesday nights. You know, I've never been around a smelting furnace or a a furnace where they heat metal and, and so on, but I remember... We were out in, um, where were are we at, Rachel's? Mechanicsburg, somewhere out there. They had one of these big furnaces. And they had a, a door in the front. And it was, this was all brick. And it was lined inside with brick. And they have a big fire in there. And it would melt steel. It would melt uh, iron and things. And they would make, you know, perhaps, made cannon, cannonballs, and all that stuff out of these. And this is huge. This is probably you know, 70 feet across and 70 feet high. Well, Nebuchadnezzar has a fiery furnace. And he has made the fiery furnace, this furnace is probably a smelting furnace, and he has made it seven times hotter. So we figured out the temperature to be somewhere around, what was it, Jose? You remember? Around 12,000 degrees. Seven times hotter. So this is around 12,000 degrees, for, uh, this, this is about, because the, the fiery furnace has to be hot enough to melt metal, okay? At what temperature does metal melt? Then seven times that. So it was, that's how we come up with the, you know, it wasn't like we dreamed it, but that was our logic. So anyhow, this furnace is seven times hotter than it needs to be. It is so hot that whenever the people approach it, you ever walked up to a fire and been so hot you felt like, whoa, I got to step back? Okay, you've never been around fire. Okay, (laughs) But we find that it's seven times hotter. So what happens is the people who are carrying, they bound Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and cords, and whatever, and they take them up to the top, I guess, somewhere to throw them in. And they throw them in the furnace. And this furnace has to be large enough so that the entrance that you can see inside. So when the people who throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace, they die from the heat. Okay? They die from the heat, and what happens? So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent that the furnace so hot, the flames killed the soldiers. Now, what happens next? The king Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his adversaries, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the furnace? They replied, yes, king. And he said, I see four. (laughs) I see four. You see, whenever we find ourselves in the pit, whether it's in a furnace or in a pit, in a place of adversity, a place of problems, problems whether we we fell in on our own or whether somebody else threw us in, God is always with us. And as we wait upon the Lord, we will find that God is there. We wait and we wait and we wait. Why are we waiting? (laughs) Only God knows. But God has a way of working in our life that he will bring us to this place of deliverance or a place of answering. And he says in this psalm that we are adding, talking about, "No, God is able to deliver us. There is nothing that God cannot do, but God doesn't do everything we ask him. Imagine that. <laughs> if God did everything that we ask him, he would be our puppet. And that we would, be, we would be doing things after our schedule and building things after our eyes and after our likeness and we'd become just like King Nebuchadnezzar. And that we'd be so caught up in I, me, and my that we would be colliding with every other I, me, and my and nothing would work. But God has a plan for our life and God has a purpose for our life and ever we find ourselves on our knees we find that there we are closest to God. And everything isn't going to work out the way that we want. (laughs) You know, did you ever tell God what he should do? You know, sometimes I I always would, would, I always had a hard time, how about that? I always had a hard time telling God, you know God, I have this problem, you need to fix it. This is the problem I got. Like, we're telling him something he doesn't know. Okay, God knows everything, so what are we praying? We need to pray the promises. God has a plan for your life, Nikki. God has a purpose for you. He has a purpose now and in the future. God will take you places you never dreamed of. He will bless you in ways that you never thought possible. He will crown you with his righteousness and his love. And your life will be an expression of his giftings to you and to others. So everywhere she goes, she can pray the promise of God. <laughs> everywhere you go, you can pray the promise of God, not informing him God, you know where I'm at now. <laughs> In case you've lost track, I'm at such and such degree, such and such latitude, <laughs> facing such and such a difficulty, you know, yeah, your point is, <laughs> verse 5 says, blessed are you who give yourselves over to God and turn your backs on the world's sure things, <laughs> I like that one the world's sure thing. Ignore what the world worships. The world's a huge stockpile of God wanderers and God thoughts. You know, there are so many people that have, have, have an idea what God is and what God is not and how that God is supposed to work and God, you know, and, and they create all these crazy scenarios. You know, this one talk show guy, he, I mean, I just don't listen. I don't listen to him, but I was flicking through the channels and he was on and he said God, so I stopped and uh, he said, well, you know, I, don't th- I can't believe in a God who has to work six days and rest on the seventh. I can't serve a God who's tired. You know, and then he's going off on God being tired and taking, taking a break. You know? And he, you know, it's like, it's totally out of, you know, he hasn't got a clue what he's talking about. And all the people are laughing You know, in his status because they believe him. He doesn't want to know the truth. He has a perspective of his life and of God and he is mocking God with it. But guess what? There's going to come a day and he's going to meet the God that was tired and, uh, and he's going to find out that he was not tired but he was setting a principle for people to enter into a spiritual rest for their souls. And what God does He does as an example to show us what he has for us. And then the psalmist, another version of verse 6 says, uh, it's speaking of God, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. You don't don't desire us to to burn sacrifices and, and have all these things. That's not what you desire. You desire to be in your heart, that it has to come from your heart and who you are as an individual. Uh, Verse 6, the second part of it says, but my eyes you have opened. Then verse 7, here I am. I have come. It's written about me in the scrolls. I've come to this place in my life where I finally understand you wrote about me in the book. You wrote about my life in the scriptures. You wrote about how that you would never leave me nor forsake me. You wrote about how that you had a plan for the nation of Israel, but you also have a plan for me. Hmm. The Message Bible says, I read your letter, what you wrote about me, and I'm coming to the party you're throwing for me. <laughs> I'm coming to the party, Lord. <laughs> and the party is thrown for me. It isn't, it isn't that I have to, I, did I do enough to get in? You know, and, and I feel so sad. Whenever um, I'm with people and they say, uh, I hope I've done enough to get in. <laughs> you know, they're sick, they're ill. I hope I've done enough to balance out the scales. <laughs> like, I've done bad things, but if I've done enough good things, perhaps I can balance it out and I can get to heaven. <laughs> you know, it doesn't work like that. It's forgiveness, it's grace. It's mercy. I desire, verse eight, I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is in my heart. It isn't something that we're doing because we're in a we're in a pit. It isn't something we're doing because we're in a fiery furnace. We're doing it because it's part of our character. It's part of our soul, it's part of our thinking, it's part of our expectation. It's, it's, it's all of me wrapped up in that that I am going to spend an eternity with God and the reason I know that is God has come to spend his li- my life with him. He's come to be with me during the expanse of my life and no matter where I am, it's part of my character and part of my soul, part of my thinking and part of my expectation. God loves me, and he loves you. God has blessed me, and he will bless you. He doesn't give me things for my life. He gives me things for my life to share with you. He gives things to your life to share with us and with others because we're part of the body of Christ. God has a way of touching us by his spirit and influencing our thinking, renewing a right right spirit within us challenging us to change who we are to what he wants us to be. That's when God's word entered my life and became part of my very being, the psalmist says. I take joy in doing your will, for your instructions are written in my heart. These things I do while I'm here in the pit, I do when I'm on the rock. What I do in the pit, I do in the rock. What I did outside the furnace, I do in the furnace. <laughs> I serve God. And what's he say? He says, I sing. There you go. So I answered, I'm coming, I'm ready to, uh, I read in your letter what you wrote about me. And I'm coming to the party, you're throne for me. That's when God's word entered my life and became part of my being. I preached you, to the whole congregation, I kept nothing back. You know what? I don't keep the news of your ways a secret. I told it all. For myself alone, I told it. Let the congregation know the whole story. And he goes back, this is, I sang the God song. I sang a good song, a God's the latest God song, a praise song to our God. It's something that comes from our being. It's something that comes from our character. It's something that comes from our heart. It's not something we put on. It is someone we become. This is who I am in Jesus. And whenever I am in him, and I'm in the pit, he's there with me. When I go along the surface and I fall into the pit, the miry clay, I drift off course and I find myself lost, God is with me. When I stand up for God and I do the right things and people persecute me and throw me into the furnace of their sarcasm and their unbelief, there is always someone else there with me. Because that's part of my soul. It's part of my character. It's part of who I am. I can't bear grudges. I can't keep them. Because that's not a part of who I am. I can't hate people. I can't go on not forgiving people. Because that's not part of who Jesus is. You see, I'm looking at what Jesus and his character is. And those are the rules that we have to live by. Because that's the character and that's what's written on our heart. And we don't perform, we live. We don't, if we fall and fall away, you know, and drift off, don't worry, get back on course. Look, I waited and I waited and God sent your lifeline, Send Christ. And here Christ comes to me. Here people are persecuting me and trying to, you know, say that what I believe and what I do means nothing. I'm not alone here. Jesus is with me. And no matter where we are at, Christ walks with us. He walks with me and he talks with me. And what does he do? He tells me I am his. Amen? Let's stand. (laughs) What promise do we need to pray? What promise does God need to place in our life? That's what we pray. What promise is God speaking to your heart? What promise does he speak to you? You see, whether you're, you've fallen in the pit, what promise? God knows exactly where I'm at. His grace and his mercy look beyond my faults and he sees my need. When I'm in the furnace or people are persecuting or trials or whatever... I'm safe in the arms of my father. <laughs> you know, when I, when I'm in, you know, we've, we've had a <laughs> number of people, we, we always have a number of people who die in our program, but it just seems lately there's just been a number of people that I've worked with specifically. And you go in, and you want people to feel the presence of God where they feel safe in the arms of their father. And it's okay. We'll see them again. And that's the security we have to have as we walk with God every day. Whether we are walking in the last moments of time in our life, or whether we're just preparing for the next weeks and months and years, we're going to walk with God each step of the way. And I want us I, I believe God wants us to feel safe in the arms of our Father. Jesus, we thank you for your presence. No matter where we are at, if we've drifted, God, you, you come to help us. If we've been persecuted and thrown into the fiery furnace, you're there. So no matter where we are at in our life, God, you are there. You know exactly who we are, where we are, and how we got here. And yet, Lord, it is by your grace and your mercy you reach out to us in your love and you hold our hearts and we are safe in the arms of our Father. We thank you for that security as we step out the door, as we go on from here, grow on from here. God, we can never leave you. We can never leave your presence. You are with us. So, Lord, we pray your promise of blessing. We pray your promise of forgiveness. We pray your promise of love. We pray your promise of security. Whatever it is, Lord, that is our need, we pray it to you. God, we believe this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. amen. God bless you.